So this is the West Coast Project podcast for Fargo TV, Episode 7, Who Shaves the Barber? My name is Mike. And I'm Michelle. Hey, Michelle. How's it going? Good. How are you? Pretty good. Okay, good. I think I, I've got the, uh, I, I solved the paradox of who shaves the barber. Did you, you solved it alone? I've been doing some research on the internet. And, yeah. uh, and back in 1908, there were two ways of avoiding the paradox that's proposed in the parable. There's Russell's theory and the Zamello set theory. (laughs) The first uses the constructed axiomatic set theory, and Zamello's axioms went well beyond Furridge's axioms of existentiality and unlimited set abstraction. And then those evolved into into the now canonical Zamello-Frankel set theory. So you want to break that down? Um, Well... I I could, but um, I'm just going to let let you go ahead with it. It's only 8.30 here, and that was a lot to just say, much less try to think about. I'm reading, yeah. that, I'm reading that from Wikipedia, and it's um, – the parable was actually proposed by Bertrand Russell, who was a British philosopher and a mathematician. And it's a, it's a set it's – a, it's a parable or a paradox, I guess, that describes how certain number sets work together mathematically – yeah, and how some don't. And evidently. how yeah, right. and how did how some just the just the comparison of number sets where one number should be a should not be within its own set, but somehow is. It's it's a weird mathematical paradox. Yeah, exposing some kind of uh, like an inconsistency or something. So. Right, I but I, I was looking at. I mean, I'm just kind of kidding around about trying to figure it out. But they have yeah. <laughs> they have the whole mathematical side. But they do talk about Bertrand Russell a little bit, and he was he was this political philosopher slash mathematician. Um, but he discovered this paradox in 1901. So if you ever start to think like you know we're we're all smart these days, we have all these cool computers and technology and all this knowledge about the world, and just think how smart that was back you know over a hundred years ago. Yeah, anytime I think I'm smart, I go back and read an old book. And the wording and everything, and I'm talking about just 50 or 60 years old. And uh, you realize that people were pretty smart. People have always been pretty smart, yeah. Right. Um, but this Fargo episode starts out pretty cool. It's No, Gus's... wait, what was number two? Did you say the number two? You said you figured out two ways. You solved yeah, I, it in two ways. I told them both to you, Michelle. Oh, okay, you said number two. Well, I'm sorry, I lost it in that. I heard that... Um, if the barber was a female. No, the two ways of avoiding the mer- the paradox are Russell's type theory and Zamello's set theory. Do I have to go through this again? With Please you, Michelle? don't. Please don't. Okay, never mind. Let's go. No, the parables or the I keep calling it a parable. The paradox says a man. There's just one barber who is male, and he has to shave everyone who does not shave himself. Okay. In in mine, it said, in a village, the barber shaves everyone who does not shave himself, but no one else. Right. That's the whole parable. And then who shaves the barber? And it's like, well, the barber's female. Nobody has to shave the barber. But, I, yeah, I totally realize that doesn't work consistently either. But Well, if the, even if it's female, the barber shaves everyone who does not shave himself. The himself is like cross, you know, it's not specific right, right. to gender. But you can't, if the barber shaves himself or herself, then she violates 
she can't then she can't shave that person because she's that person shaves shaves themselves. <laughs> <laughs> and if she doesn't if she doesn't shave herself, then she has to shave herself because she shaves everyone who doesn't shave herself himself. Good point. But Gus wakes up in the or Gus doesn't wake up. He's sitting in the hospital in the early morning um waiting for news on Molly, which we all are still, I guess. Uh, and and um, showing it backward. They so show the they show the cross audio though of the morning breakfast at the uh, Chaz and Kitty household. Yeah, the totally good, common, happy feeling household. Good waffles, hon. Mm-hmm. Sitting watching a little news, and the news then explains the fish scene. I didn't buy that, by the way, but I am glad they at least mentioned it. What'd you think? The tornado. Uh, well, that's how it happens. I didn't think they were going to use that's how it happened in this show because it happened right when it needed to happen to kill those people. That's one of the plot problems I kind of have with this. Right. So, and, I mean, that's kind of going across all the internet waves, too. Is like, is this show going to go supernatural or is it going to stay somewhat real and, you know, earthbound? Um, I don't like the fact that it's supernatural and that that was conjured up by somehow, some way, someone. <laughs> but I guess we'll get to that point. Okay. Um, yeah, we still, even when we leave the hospital scene with Gus, we don't know what happened to Molly. We still, mm -mm. in fact, it looks bad. He's got his head down and he looks like he's just grieving. Right. But we we do go over to uh, Chaz's house and see the breakfast and the uh, the apparently 100-pound backpack that the kid has to lug around everywhere. Yeah, that's pretty common. That thing was heavy, you know, looked like he had trouble carrying it. Yeah, all kids' school backpacks are so heavy. That that was totally realistic to me. Yeah, but they like you said they do solve the mystery of the fish or at least they attempt to by saying it was a weather incident. Yeah, a tornado that touched down but if if a tornado hit and the lake was frozen, I'm still not seeing it happen like that. Well, Duluth is on Lake Superior, so that's not ever going to freeze totally over. Oh, okay. And these okay, these so. these weird nature freaks freaks of nature happen like hundreds of miles away. Like the fish can be sucked up, taken way up, and then dropped. You know, hundreds. Right. Of, so it, it's it's plausible by nature. Like somewhere in the world, it could po probably happen, but to happen and then drop on our characters is is a little odd right drop on them in that exact moment when we're talking about the plagues and all that kind of stuff and how it just i mean it was way they're they're asking us to really buy a lot with that but yeah i have to i have to let it go though because i like the episode again so yeah, so Gordo gets on his way to school. And he's kind of picking his nose, and he gets on the bus. And the you know he's kind of a problem kid because the bus driver's like no more, no more trouble today. Mm -hmm. Like he's been been you know causing trouble. And uh, then he gets into school, and we see these two kids fighting, and they were fighting over the Matrix. Did you see that? They were talking about the movie, The Matrix, and one of the lines in the movie, "That's the sound of ine inevitability. It's the sound of your death." Yeah, but they weren't even really fighting. They were really just kind of acting out a scene, kind of scuffling with it, didn't you think? Yeah, or they look. They look like brothers almost. Yeah, because they, when if they were together, 
I don't know if they were together watching The Matrix, but they were play play pushing each other around and stuff. Right. So, but the gun falls out, and we see the ramifications of all that. Yeah, and Gordo, I mean, he's like totally shocked, of course, like he would be, as every other kid in the, I think it's a cafeteria, maybe some kind of holding room, and yeah, everybody just stops and stares, like they would. It's a nice school. It looks like a private school or maybe a Catholic school or something. They're all wearing mm-hmm. their same uniforms. Mm-hmm. Which, again, shows Gordo's privileged life and kind of compares it to, you know, kind of like they did in the first episode where we saw Lester's house that was not as nice and then Chaz's house, which was nicer and all that. It just kind of, again, showed the privilege of the family, I think. So this gun triggers off a whole, the, all of what Lester wanted it to do, to, to this whole investigation into search warrants and finding out what, you know, what's going on. Mm-hmm. Do you think a gun in a backpack at a school would, would, would build up a search warrant that then, then the whole police department would descend on a house? I think if that's what they wanted, they could certainly get it just from that. If the police department wanted a gun uh, or a search warrant for the home. He's a little kid and he's a little kid with um, autism, right? Or Asperger's. And so I think that if they wanted to do that, they could certainly carry it that far. So I it's think a they parental get, thing. Yeah. More than the kid. Well, sure. Yeah. They kind of get car. I mean, the kid got the gun somewhere and he's got it at school and we all know how, what a touchy, sensitive subject that is these days. So, yeah, I totally bought that. Kitty's uh, vacuuming when the door gets knocked on, I guess. And Kitty had one of those um, dragon eggs on her mantle um, in the living room. Did she really? I, I was, missed that. I was uh, maybe I'm too tied into these TV shows, but <laughs> looked just like one of Danny's dragon eggs was white and something on the mantle. She's got that vacuuming down, doesn't she? She had the step going, yeah. She did, and she's got the little belly shirt on, and she's kind of vacuuming back and forth. It's almost like a little dance she was doing. That was pretty good. But Bill's there with a search warrant, they bust in on her, and she calls Chaz. And Chaz's life is full of meaningless things, material stuff and stupid jokes. And But he does have good driving skills. He skids right through everything, <laughs> up right up to the driveway. Yeah. Why was he so upset? Was it because he had that? gun he shouldn't have yeah. had and he knew they'd be in it okay who knows what else he has that he's not supposed to have okay good point you know he's probably pushing the envelope of like i'm sure it's not he's not threatening people and stuff but he probably has some crap he shouldn't have what did you think about how quickly kitty turned on him i thought she played this scene great by the way she's what made this scene so good to me um and i'm glad they kind of showcased her that way finally and she, in her idyllic life with this man that she just can't say enough nice things about, she turns on him on a dime. As soon as Gordo has that gun in his backpack, when Chaz comes up, she is angry. I mean, fighting. Well, angry. I think she already dislikes Chaz's man cave with the guns. She probably already knows that he's got all those guns and doesn't want to put up with it and you know he's got his little computer and he's masturbating in the garage all the time and i'm sure she hates that man cave and so the kid's in trouble with a gun she's gonna be mad at him because it's his gun right i could see her being upset and but i just thought the the venom that she spewed before they even found 
the you know artifacts that Lester planted. She was angry before that, just furious with him. Yeah, about the gun. Right. If, if you didn't have all these guns, little Gordo wouldn't have gotten into this trouble. Right. And My I baby. Can see it. Right. Yes. Yeah. That's enough I, to convince me that she's she's slapping him and mad at him about just the gun. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I just thought it was. I thought it was a great scene. I thought they showcased her. I love how did you at at the one point when they're talking. All this chaos is going on around Chaz and the washing machine sound is in the background. Yeah. It's and I thought that was great. I think that's the first time they've transferred the washing machine sound from Lester. And it's almost like the transfer of the sound with the blame kind of at the same time. And he can hear nothing. His ears were roaring. And you see, and then Kitty like spits on him. I mean, she is just, you know, they're, they're holding her back from physically attacking him. Yeah. Well, that boat's sinking in India, 400 people dead, but nothing is worse than those beige panties. (laughs) I'm not going to comment on that. And so we next we jump over to see Lester talking to Bill, and Bill's feeding all the everything Lester needs to construct this story is being fed to him by Bill, the knucklehead chief of police. Yeah, he really does just give him his whole theory, every bit of it. So I thought Lester was becoming a little bit like Malvo. He's starting to use chaos to you know to be his ladder, like Littlefinger. Chaos is his ladder up and out of this. Right. Well, and I think he probably had an opportunity to think about how this might come down and everything. But now, see, Lester doesn't know until this point that Molly's been shot. And so when he finds that out, I think that just frees him up even more to, you know, takes another weight maybe off of his shoulders because he knows Molly was the only one that was after him in any real way anyway. Yeah. And and now she's shot in Duluth and not even there, so. Yeah, so we I was kidding around of course about the 400 dead and the boat sinking in, in India, but that's a very direct callback to no country when the old sheriff was not understanding the new ways of the world and all these evil things that are happening around everybody. Well, right, and I think it's another uh just a commentary to the kind of town they have. And how calm and everything is there. This is just uh, really out of the ordinary. Yeah. We learn also that Pearl was a bit frisky back in her days. Because Lester says something about her being flirty with other men or boys and back in school, whatever. and, And Bill's like, yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah, Bill says, you know, it's not up to me to say or whatever to talk about or whatever. How inappropriate it would be for him to talk about it, but... That she evidently this wouldn't be too out of the ordinary for her uh, back before, even though going for the brother seemed like a really big deal to him. So Chaz is officially under the bus. I like how Lester built himself up, though. Like he said, Pearl said to Chaz, you're not half the man he is, meaning Lester. Lester does yeah. Lester does a pretty good acting job, but he has a whole lot of details to remember if he ever needs if Bill ever you know keeps all track of all this and Lester has to repeat it the same way it would be, would be really hard to do, I think. Yeah, but I don't I 
thought about that, but I didn't see Bill taping him or even making notes. Bill's sitting there like he's talking to a high school, you know, to a friend, a high school friend, a long-term friend, and just talking. Yeah, unless there's not handcuffed and it, there's a handcuff mounting thing on the table where other people probably do get handcuffed. Right. They probably don't have the camera or anything on. So he, maybe he does spill it all to, to Bill and he can just say it a different way or a similar way when he has to in court. Um, that was pretty, um, pretty cool, though, that we see the flashback now of Molly in the snow and Malvo disappearing. seems like he gets one of these disappearing scenes every episode. Just kind of turns around and he he's gone. He's gone. He fades away. Right, but this one was a little more believable, I think. Don't you? Yeah, yeah, because of the weather. But still, it implied that that he was there and then he's not there. Right. Yeah, and they show us what what happened, which I really appreciated. That I liked seeing that. I liked being able to see uh, what we thought and where the shooting came from and. The fact that she shot Ranch, we see. And she was shot by Gus. That's pretty clear. He says the word halt and then the gunshot and then she's hit. Right. So we're back at the hospital now with Greta and Gus. And um, it was pretty cool perspective of of, um, Molly waking up like all disoriented, like Greta's face was kind of sideways or diagonal. It's, It's almost like what it would look like to wake up from the perspective of the patient waking up. Yeah, and she looked kind of sick right there. I thought they might play that out pretty well, but, of course, within no time, she's up and kind of skipping around, which I didn't buy. But she did look really sick at the beginning, and um, and I appreciated that. Do you think they were playing it safe? I read someplace they were said that Molly's surviving was a playing it safe move because... Mm-hmm. They don't want to kill her. They don't want to offend the viewers. They don't want to make it that dark. How is it playing it safe? Playing it safe by she didn't die. Well, so they didn't have to deal with that that darkness. That would have left nobody left to like except for Gus. And it's hard to like Gus in a respectable way. It's hard to respect and like Gus, I guess, because he's not that smart. Well, so Lester, who doesn't like Lester? Well. <laughs> he's, he's turning into the man about town now. He's going around uh, getting getting babes. and. No. No. But this is where Molly finds out that, uh, that she did not kill Wrench, but she did shoot him. And he's evidently upstairs in intensive. And we also see Gus. This is where Gus really tells her his admiration for her. She says that she shot the guy with the automatic weapon or whatever, and he and she wonders how she was able to do that. And Gus says, "Because you're you." Yeah. And it's a really kind of a little intimate moment, I think, between them uh, that he admits his admiration for her in this situation, and then he just wants to go ahead and, of course, he's going to admit what he did and that he did it, and there's going to be a you know, they're going to look into it and everything, but he says he'll probably just lose his job and not be doing this anymore. And here she is being the precious person that she is, and she's telling them it could have been her shooting him. It was a whiteout condition. She wants her spleen back, though. 
She does want that spleen back, and I don't blame her. Well, you ask I, if the, she wants a pop, and she says, no, spleen, get cracking. At the end of my notes, I listed some of my complaints about this episode, and it's like the fish and some other stuff. But one of my complaints, we can do it at the end, I guess, but because we're talking now, one of my complaints or curiosities is, like, why did Molly even get shot? If we don't want to lose her because she's such a, an important part of the episode or series, why does she even get shot? Is it just like a tease to see, to make you think, like, what if she was gone? Oh, that's that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that we know that yet. I don't know that we will know. There could be something eventually to it. Um, it certainly got her out of the way momentarily for Bill to go on his rampage of inaccurate thinking. And, you know, he had that whole thing all wrapped up before she even got out of the hospital. And I don't know how long she was supposed to be in the hospital. I couldn't really get a time frame on it. I'm guessing a couple of days, but I'm not sure. So I don't know, it, or, or just overnight. She said the bullet went right through her. Yeah, but it went through her spleen. They had to remove her spleen. Your spleen's very vascular. So uh, typically, if you have any kind of damage in the spleen area, you lose an awful lot of blood. And when she woke up, she did look like she might be down a court or something. You know, she looked like she could, she, she looked pale. Or doped up, yeah. Yeah. Well, Lester goes home and orders a cleaning crew with the friendliest phone guy ever. Uh, until yeah. he finds out that there's blood on the, s- <laughs> he doesn't worry that the the house invader might have defecated somewhere, but he doesn't like blood. <laughs> he doesn't. Uh, yeah, I don't understand that one. Just a little bit of comic relief, I think, thrown in. I think they do that from time to time in this. Which... Yeah. The, well, that que- that scene prompted the same question: Why do we have that scene? Doesn't serve the plot very well at all for anything specifically. Well, no. No, it doesn't, but right prior to that, Leo had come in, uh, Molly's dad, and sat down, and you can see the anguish. This is Leo's worst nightmare. He's even brought it up to Molly before. So it's a real heavy, heavy scene. We know that we just about lost Molly, and and so it's just really, you feel all this playing on you. And then they have this brilliant way, I think, of of lightening the mood. And I, that's just how I took that scene. It just seems like as soon as he came in, he's kind of got a little skip in his step now. And he is, uh, you know, it's just a whole, let's just do a little comic relief in the middle of this and lighten it up. Yeah, maybe. Because um, otherwise that would have been pretty, Dark. I think it would have taken, not dark, but deep, certainly, and it would have taken us down because the next scene, it goes right into the guy from Reno, and he's yeah. doing jazzercise in the pool and everything, and that was another intense scene. This is the scene, this is the most critical scene of this episode, and it's the key to the whole series, I think, and it's, and it's hard to figure out. Um, I tried to think it through, but... The way the guy had the conversation with Malvo and Reno, it really holds all the answers to what's going on with who Malvo is, I think. 
Um, but yeah, the, so the guys that swim aerobic class or whatever, what what'd you call it? I said jazzercise in the water, but I don't know. In, in Reno, yeah. And Reno, by the way, is a town, it's a lot like Fargo. It's kind of a truck stop town. It's in Nevada. Everybody thinks Reno's kind of a glitzy, you know, I don't know what you think of it. You haven't been there before, but it's really not much of a town. It's kind of a crossroads highway town. Um, but he's in Reno, for, of all places, and he's doing this aerobics, water aerobics thing, and Melville meets him at his office. Yeah, in a little strip mall in the back of the realty office, Rundle Realty, and we saw that before, but it's just such an odd place to be, and Malvo's comfortable. Malvo's waiting just like, again, no country. He's waiting just like uh, Anton Chigurh with his feet up, kicking back, and this, yeah, this Rundle Real- Realty, which is gr- which is brown and beige and very nondescript. Yeah, just in the middle of this strip mall, like a dilapidated-looking almost strip mall. So nothing nothing that would catch your eye with it. Yeah, but even you know, inside or out. It's all beige. It's all – even the guy's wearing this kind of brown jacket, brown suit. I wonder why they showed him doing water aerobics. I don't know. I don't either. Um, but we find out that there's no pin in Georgia, but there's a pin in every other state. Pin. 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 Pen is something you write with. Okay. <laughs> I can't differentiate those two words either, but okay. Um, but Malvo asked him why. And there's a couple of times in this series that I'm watching and I think, did I have a stroke? Because the answer doesn't make any sense to me as far as the question, but it seems to satisfy the questioner. Did well, that have anything to do with the pen in the state of Georgia? Be specific. What do you mean? Well, Malvo asked why, why there's no pen in the state of Georgia. And the guy says that his wife was Korean and she used to spit at him when they were having sex. And Kitty had spit at Chaz earlier in this episode too. But what does that have to do with the pen in Georgia? Because that was the question. It's the one place he doesn't ever want to go back to. I mean, there are a lot of questions if we examine this scene that are, like I said, I think the answer to who Malvo is in this whole thing. Yeah, but he didn't say he lived there with her. I mean, there's nothing else about it. It's just like there's no pen in Georgia, but there's a pen in every other state. I'm assuming that that means that that's where they work or something. So I noticed you got a pen on your map in every state but Georgia. The hell do you got against Georgia? My first wife. She was Korean. She used to spit at me when we had sex. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. Right there, this is like my harebrained aluminum hat theory. He sounds like the big heavy boss at the Chinese restaurant. That little affectation in his accent and in his voice... He has a little glitch that sounds just like the first guy. Don't care. You know, remember how he said whatever he said? I don't have it here. I can't play it real readily. Don't care alibi. Don't care dead. Want just head or whatever he said. Remember that? Yeah, I do. The way that this guy just said that sounds just like it. Like they could be brothers or maybe not brothers, but from the same part of the world or somehow or at one point they were together. 
Okay, did you come up with that? Because that yeah. is brilliant. Yeah, I just thought, well, I thought about it when I heard him say that. Here, let me, I'll do it again. Can I sit? Or did you want to kill me standing? I think it's before that. Hold on. He only says it with two words. What the hell do you got against Georgia? My first wife. She was Korean. She used to spit at me when we had sex. Had sex. Yeah, and she used to spit at me. That kind of drawn out. Yeah. He says she used to spit at me when we had sex. I don't know. It sounded like that other guy. That's all I'm saying. Here, I'll play the rest of it. Can I sit? Or did you want to kill me standing? Melville gives him the, eh, whatever. Yeah. I still don't get the relationship. Two hombres took a run at me in Duluth. Mexicans? That's the wrong part of the sentence to be focusing on. I think that's enough of that we need. But you still don't get what the relationship is what? To Georgia. Yeah, I don't know. And so I just sometimes feel like I have to go back and watch something over and over because I think, did I miss something in that? Because I still don't understand what that had to do with the pen in Georgia. It's like they ask a question and then they there's a completely separate answer. And I feel like we're supposed to maybe get something out of that. And I'm not smart enough to get it. To get it. Well, there I, I think, well, Malvo doesn't know the answer because he's asking the question. But I think this guy, there are more questions in this scene than... That are probably more important than that. Um, anyway, let's let's. I don't know if we should play it or what, but we could talk about it first, I guess. But the nature of the business. Um, he does say his wife spit at him when he ha- when we have sex, which is weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then he starts talking about the nature of the business, and he says if people are unhappy with their services, they call, like they call in to complain, I guess. And if a guy screws up. Arrangements are made, and it's either settled by cash or breaking an arm or a leg. Yeah, but we never got calls. The- we never got any calls about you, Mister Malvo. Right. So, so whatever it is, it's got to be personal. And what Malvo's trying to find out is what, how did Lester find out about Malvo specifically? That's what he's trying to find out from this guy in Reno. And we know, we know the answer, even though Malvo doesn't know the answer. Oh, I don't, I didn't think that he was trying to, I didn't, I don't think he knows anything about Lester doing this. I don't think this is about Lester at this point because he asked, did you tell these boys where to find me? So he doesn't yeah. have any idea Lester he, is the one. That, that's my point. He doesn't know it's Lester, but we do. Oh, okay. I thought you said he was trying to find out about Lester. No, he says, how did they know me? But we know we, you, you know, right. all us viewers know he put he pieced it together. I don't think Malva or uh, yeah, Malvo has any idea right. what's we, going on. He just knows somebody's coming after him, and he wants to find out who and why. Right. We don't. We know Malvo does not know, but Wrench and Numbers knew because less they tortured Lester into telling. Right. That's how. That's how we know because we right. heard. We heard all that. Right. Okay, so so what's going on with this guy? What's the na- what is the nature of his business? If people are unhappy with their services, they call. A guy sc- so somehow if a guy screws up, arrangements are made and they're settled by either cash or breaking an arm or a leg. What's their service? What who screws up and what are what's their service? 
Well, man, I think it's a hitman service. Because remember, that's what Malvo was doing at the beginning. I mean, the guy in the trunk and all that. The very, very beginning, season or episode one. So it's a hitman service. And if they screw up, then the people who they were put, they were helping, they were the people who who signed their paychecks um, call in and say, I don't like how that was handled. And so they either get money or they, you know, take so, out their revenge in another way. So who's screwing up? The hitman sent out on a job? That's what I'm taking it as. Maybe, and maybe that's why Wrench was wanted to be so careful about who he got and who was killed. And numbers was just more, uh, let's just handle this and go on our way. But wrench was really serious about getting who, who it was because maybe he knew that you had to but do, the, but it makes no sense for a hitman business to settle their grievances with their hitman who screws up by getting cash from him or by breaking his arm. Well, maybe by taking back some of the money that he was paid. No, I don't know. I don't know how the hitman business works. So no, that that doesn't make any sense to me anyway. That 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 you, the only thing to really clean it all up would be to take the hitman out or you know kill him. <laughs> well, who would go to work for that company? Well, I mean hitman. it's already well, but but hitmen already have. I mean, well, probably have a tough time getting insurance because they have such a dangerous job. Do you think? Maybe when they sit down with Lester, he has a hard time writing up a policy. Well, right. I don't know. I, I don't think hitmen who screw up get punished by needing to pay some cash back to their evil bosses. It that it it's I don't know, it's very mysterious. Well maybe you can find a hitman and we can ask him. Well so so Malvo so the, he this guy in Reno tells Malvo we don't get any calls about you, Malvo, so that's not the problem. What who's ever after you is personal. Well yeah, and we also have to remember that Malvo has deviated off of his plan remember he went there to do the job and then he met lester and then he decided to take some personal days so i would think he could maybe even put that together but malvo well, i think he thinks they sent numbers yeah. and wrench after him yeah, in light of all this, it does make sense that it is personal. It's Lester coming at, in, back after Malvo now. Malvo helped Lester, and now Lester's the one that's Malvo's biggest problem. Well, help is such a, a stretch, maybe, but but maybe in Malvo's demented mind, that's what he did. I'm just so won I'm wondering if it's worth playing. Hold on a second. First. I Did you tell these boys this. where to find me? Hold on. I am going to have to edit this because this is good stuff. They said Fargo sent them. So I have two questions. First, did you tell these boys where to find me? Second, who do I see about this in Fargo? Look. You know I can't. Did you put them on me? No, of course not. But you got to understand, this is a business of relationships. I can't just... Of relationships. Right. And, well, 
is not my position professionally to get involved in squabbles, especially not of a private nature. How do you know it's private? If people are unhappy with our services, they call. A guy screws up, arrangements are made. A cash settlement, uh, if that's not enough, you break a leg or an arm. No calls. Not about you. Okay. That, the, I forgot that, too. The re- This is a business of relationships. That's not a hitman business. I think, and I think the person they're referring to screwing up is the is the target. Somebody screws up, they borrow money from a loan shark, they can't pay it back. You know, re- results are needed. We need cash back or we need to break an arm or leg. I don't think those results are aimed at the hitman out on the job. Anyway, I might be wrong about this, but it's... It's very it's a very mysterious and interesting conversation. Maybe we'll just have to leave it at that. Yeah, that you're making much more sense. That sounds since you put it that way, I'm questioning everything I think about it now. I don't know. I, I don't watched know it a few times and it doesn't sound like one hitman talking to another hitman when they both know what the gig is isn't going to say this is a business of relationships. Yeah, but is is loan sharking or whatever they're talking about a business of relationships either? I don't know. I'm just not not getting the correlation. The fact that it's mysterious is interesting. Well, Malvo says it doesn't matter that it's personal. He doesn't care, really. It's the principal, which I thought was. And then he goes into the phones and he's going to, you know, one phone calls an ambulance, one phone calls a hearse. And how you answer it. Or, yeah, how you answer his question depends on which phone gets used. And he wants to know who he talks to in Fargo. Yep. And do we know what the guy told him? Probably. Do you assume that the guy wouldn't tell him anything? Well, next time we see Malvo, we see what he does. So he does go right to the source. Well, yeah, but he's walking. Oh, good point. Yeah, he does, doesn't he? Yeah, so okay. I think he tells him, and then the guy gets killed anyway because the lady screams. Well, but she would scream if he was just hurt. One one phone was going to call an ambulance, so he was going to get hurt anyway. And one phone was going to call a hearse. Michelle. going to get hurt or killed. What? Poor, sweet, innocent Michelle. What? She's screaming because his arm is broken. <laughs> well, maybe. His arm is at an incredibly sad-looking angle. Oh, no. Oh, jeez. He could be hurt. Molly was hurt. Okay, anyway. You want me to edit that out? No. Molly goes up to next. We're back at the hospital. So so Malvo leaves, apparently, with the information he wanted. And Molly, Molly's back up there now with sad-looking wrench, questioning him about what's going on. And, again, another throwback to old No Country is, like, what's the point? You know, all this, all this pain and shooting and life in jail and... Very Margie-like in her conversation with with uh, Wrench. Yeah, it really was. I thought it was a great nod back to that Marge conversation in the police car with Gayer. Yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful day, and now you're going to have your life in jail. <laughs> 
Yep, she's writing stuff out on the old whiteboard and um, gets that message or conveys the message, gets the word from Wrench and tells him about his partner and all that good stuff. And she admits she's the one who shot him and she seems kind of guilty about it uh, or at least feels bad badly about it. She tells him she never shot anybody before, but she assumes he has. He has shot or he has been shot before? Um... I took it as he has shot people Yeah, I before. thought that way at first, and I thought, did it mean that he's been shot? Because they both kind of shared the pain of being shot. And he looks away, and she's like, oh, it hurts. It hurts me, too. But I think you're right. It's probably that he has shot someone before. Yeah, that's what I... That's how I took it. And then she goes into, evidently, she's thinking about her relationship with her father, and she talks about how he has probably a father... And that cares about him the same way. And now your friend's dead and you're going to spend the rest of your life in jail. And what's it for? And Wrench has tears coming down his face. Yeah, Wrench is surprisingly emotional in this. Did you, uh, I, I noticed in there that his window was barred. Yeah. But Lester's wasn't. When they had yeah. the police out of that. Why do you think that was? Well, this guy's handcuffed, too, and Lester wasn't handcuffed. This guy's more of a direct you know, prisoner. Lester might have been somewhat suspicious. He had a cop outside. I don't think he was deemed as much of a threat as, as this wrench guy. No, but I wonder, are there like rooms in a hospital in this smaller-esque? T- well, no, they're in Duluth now. So maybe there's rooms in the yeah, hospital probably. that have... Yeah, just just for the hardened criminals. Uh, so at the end of this scene, we see a commercial for Louie, Michelle, and you and I do a podcast on Louie, Louie TV. Yep. Louie TV podcast, Facebook slash Louie TV podcast. Have you told yep. all your friends to go on there and like us? All, all of the ones, yeah, I have. I've uh, definitely let it be known on people that are of age <laughs> all of the ones with computers <laughs> oh mike it's a uh, an adult much more adult con well this was pretty much adult content this time too though wasn't it yeah very much this one the whole show is not just not just sex it's like very uh life you know People killing people. What what's worse to you're a mom. What's worse? Killing on TV or sex on TV? That's it's funny you ask that. That's a frequent uh it's kind of a almost like a sore spot in my home because my husband thinks that kids seeing sex on TV is the worst. And I think kids seeing violence on TV is worse. So I guess it just depends on how you feel. How about violent sex? Um, we we haven't come to that. We haven't ever attempted to watch anything like that with the girls. So, so back to Fargo, we see Chaz do the poor Chaz man. He's doing the perp walk in front of everybody in the main office at the police department. He's going to the county jail. Yep, he's going there and he's trying to plead his case, but they're not listening to the dumb the dumb authoritative cop who just doesn't you know there's no reasoning with him 
I, you know, you don't expect there to be any reasoning. It wouldn't be logical for the cop to go, you know what? You might have a point. Let me let me get some other authorities involved here. But it just it just emphasizes how frustrating it must be for anyone who's ever accused wrongly of a crime. It was really, really this was a sad scene for poor old Chaz, man. It it was sad. And it's kind of anybody who's ever had a, an experience that's terrifying to you has that moment of kind of like the earth stands still. And I think they do that pretty well in this. They convey that really well to me anyway. Yeah, like really bad things happen slowly. Right. So Gus, Co- well, the, I guess they uh, Lester has the little prophetic st- saying that he doesn't want to call it in. In person is better with, with the widow Hess. And then we well, go yeah. back. We go back to the hospital, and Gus is bringing Molly some flowers, and she's got the whole dealio sketched out on the window. That was pretty cool. Yeah, that was pretty good. She's up moving around awfully good to have that spleen removed. Allison had had the uh, crocodile dilemma sketched out on a yellow legal pad back in our first episode. There's a link to it on West Coast Project Fargo TV if you want to go look at it. She posted it on Twitter or somewhere. But a picture of a legal pad with her trying to sketch out the the solution to the crocodile's dilemma. And it's Oh, that's pretty cool. It's linked on our website. Our website, by the way, Michelle, if you haven't seen it, is westcoastproject.com. <laughs> okay, I'll wrap that down. Yeah. But we learn at the hospital Molly isn't done with Lester and she encourage, encourages Gus and uh, Molly's dad takes her away. Yeah, but Molly, she really has this all figured out at this point. The only thing she's wrong about in anything she says is that Lester paid Malvo. I think she's hung up on that. She mentions it again and again and again in different episodes. Yeah, hired Malvo to kill right. us. Right, and I think that's where she's getting blocked. And maybe if if she's able to see that he didn't, that it was just Malvo that kind of t- took it upon himself, but then led to this string of events, then she may be able to, I don't know. But her thinking yeah. that Lester hired Malvo isn't going to slow her down much. That That's not, like, it's not even really that wrong of a path. Whether It's he- really not. And, and she, she, everything else she says, she has figured out step by step what's happened. So um, next we're going back to Fargo and we see Malvo continuing his hit on the guys that the guy in Reno gave, you know, the Fargo team. And Fargo team, the restaurant that they're in is right next to the office they work in. Yeah. And I guess we know that because the cops are not the cops, but the FBI dudes that we meet, Pepper and Budge, (laughs) are uh, that's their names. Yeah. Are watching them, uh, kind of bumblingly watching them. And they say they go there every lunch. How do they eat that shit every day? And then Malvo starts his killing spree. I like that. It was a kind of a, you have to imagine what's going on in the building behind the windows. That was very, that was very clever. The way that was shot. The scroll down the side of a building and scroll up and scroll back. And the windows were all reflective. So you didn't even get a taste of anything until... The guy is shot and falls out the window. Yeah. And then you can see Malvo in there shooting people. And then these two these two FBI guys, um, Keegan-Michael Key and Jordan Peele, they're comedians. They were on – one of them was on MTV 
not MTV. Um, what's the what's the counterpart to Saturday Night Live? Mad TV. And they were uh, they're they're like not hearing any of these shots. They're just sitting in the car. They don't notice any of this mayhem until the body, the Australian guy, falls to the to the sidewalk. Yeah, and it's even like a few seconds afterward after he falls. It's not even like an immediate thing. I think that we got rid of um, of our first buffoon chump, and then we traded it out with two. Yeah. Could so be. Every show needs a buffoon. That's a pretty good trade. I'll take it. So they run they run up to the guy and then they talk about like let's let's back up and drive up just like we just pulled up on this. So they don't get in trouble or of some kind or very odd for professional FBI agents to act. Um they're just bumblers or like this he's still in the building and so Malvo of course walks right out of the building behind the cops' backs and just walks away. Yeah, he's listening to them. Even Did, in 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 the the chaos of the scene, this was just a great scene. I thought it was another one of those shootout. Great, in, it was captivating. But they showed Malvo last episode knifing numbers and then asking him a question, and when he didn't answer, he would twist the knife, and you could hear numbers saying Fargo Fargo and in the same scene he does it twice and you can see what he's doing in there the first time he asks where the top dog is or whatever and and they of course don't want to tell him he's upstairs but 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 he twists the knife and so they tell him and then he you know shoots him and then they he he needs to know the code to the elevator, and it's the same thing. You can tell he's got somebody by the neck or whatever with a knife in him, and he asks a question, and he twists the knife, and the person's in pain, and they're responding. And I thought that was brilliant because it really brought back the number scene, and it really connected it. I think we all have images in our mind of what was going on in there, but I how about, love that they gave us a taste of it. How about Melva walking right by the the FBI guys with the gun under his coat and then he pulls it out while he's still in the middle of the street. Do you think they saw him? Do you think they saw him and didn't think anything? Or do you think he's a a ghost of some kind? What, what was up with that? Well, they made it plausible because they were in a very important conversation about the health detriment of fast food. And so they were really in an intense conversation and, so they made it where you can think that they could they could have missed it almost. Yeah, I guess. But, but he walks right time, almost, he, I know. he walks right up to their car, cuts a 90 degree angle right in front of it, <laughs> like brushing his leg against the bumper almost. I don't know. I thought that was so obvious that that they're either super bumbly or that Malvo's super ghostly. Yeah, he's practically circling their car. It's it's insanity. So it does bring up the point because several people mention that that he seems like you have said many times he can disappear and he just seems like he's almost not quite human. Yeah. Or just a different step, so So next we get to see the widow has flouncing around in her whatever kind of gown that was. Yeah, like a kimono, I think. And then uh, drinking and listening to some old jazz and just just numbing herself. 
waiting for the money to roll in, I guess. Numbing herself from the wolves that are out at a hockey game. Yep. Uh, so she goes through this conversation with Lester, and Lester doesn't tell her that she's not going to get the money, but he kind of implies that she needs a slick middleman to get the money faster. Yeah, and, he almost tells her she's going to get the money if she plays her cards right. Right, grease some palms. And uh, she knows she knows how to grease palms. So Lester gets his revenge by having sex with her and knocking the picture of her and Hess off the wall. You think that was a Vegas picture, like in one of the Vegas casinos or something? They were wearing like Western, dopey looking Western outfits. I guess right. that could be Fargo-ish. So what did you think about that scene? I thought it was Lester's revenge on, you know, Lester's turned from a meek little wimpy getting his ass kicked by everyone to, you know, one of the things that probably lots of guys fantasize about is like if a guy screws me over, the best way to get back at him next to killing him is to screw his wife. And that's what he does. Really? Yeah, what do you, why do you think why do you think they had this scene just to have a little sex injected into the show? No, I thought it was a great revenge on Lester's part, particularly since during the sex he's flashing back to Sam's fist in his face, which essentially started this whole mess to begin with. And I thought it was a great great revenge, but at the same time this it was horrible. It was a horrible scene that they're using um, sex as currency, and in this way, and and for revenge purposes, and it makes them both look so sleazy and terrible. I well, it turns it turns a little rapey at the end, where she says, "Stop, you're hurting me," and he doesn't stop till he's done. But it's it's definitely the the wolf in nature, you know the 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 king of the pack just taking the the female you know and revenge and he's the powerful one now and it's a shift of power more than sex so we go back to Bemidji and all the cops are celebrating and Molly's one step below or one step behind us as she's still saying you're celebrating you caught Lester and the 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 lady at the front desk says no they caught Chaz and there's a party at some restaurant and and that's really insulting to her. Let me say that. She got shot in the line of duty looking for the answers to this. And she has even said before in this episode that she called Bill. She wanted to talk to him about some of the things. And and Bill can't even tell her what's happened. He can't even give her the courtesy of telling her that it was Chaz. He didn't even think about her. He makes one little comment of, uh, I, I should be with, with Molly and Duluth, but I have to be here because of this or something, you know, but that's the only mention of her. Yeah. All Bill, all Bill cares about is wrapping up the case and cleaning up the loose ends, even if they're the wrong loose ends. Yeah. It's just another disrespect of Molly in this. It was a great scene of Molly, though, at the very end. She's in the parking lot of the police department. Her dad's waiting for her. and she We don't know if she's going to get in her car and drive away after somebody or go back with her dad. She's in, like, a storm of confusion. She turns around a couple times, and she's just swirled up in this storm of 
bullshit that's kind of keeps keeps flaring up all around her. Yeah, she can't believe what's gone on in the amount of time she's been gone. She's like hyperventilating, standing outside there because she's just distraught over it. And one of the questions that I read that somebody asked was, do you think she's doubting herself? Or just, again, doubting the world and how how it all tends to come together yeah, the latter. She's she knows herself what's right and what's wrong. She's just very frustrated by all the bullshit in the world. That's exactly how I took it too. I didn't think she was questioning herself at all, but I thought it was interesting that other people did. So, do you feel cheated at all by anything in this episode, like specifically like the fish storm? I don't like the fish storm story. I don't love that. I wanted something better. I wanted them to do something better than that. Um, so I, I don't love that. Okay. So now we're, I'm at my kind of my list of my things I felt cheated by. So why was Molly shot? Don't, we don't really know plot wise why she was shot. Um, the fish storm also Gordo saw Lester in the house that may become important coming up. That's uh, if anyone will ever believe that poor little kid that he (laughs) saw Lester that day in the house. That's a good point. Um, Also, when we were talking about Bill a little bit, Bill, like, what, what, why didn't Bill say anything about Chump and the whole fiasco at Chump's house to anybody? Nobody talked about that. Yeah. Why was that just, just glossed over? I mean, it wasn't even mentioned in this whole episode. You just had this barricaded person we didn't find out that he was a victim of it which we know he was because he was duct taped up so they have to know this stuff and we don't we don't hear anything about that they got to be trying to find his killer or person who set him up too and it's not mentioned at all so i didn't love that either so who's gonna win michelle the devils or the angels in this whole mess there's only three episodes left I think Good's got to win. If it's going to hold true to the Fargo story, I'm on the side of Good. What do you think? Uh, I don't know. I think it would be more interesting, actually, if Lester gets away with it. But I don't know. I mean, they've left it so open. I want, still want to know what that what the Fargo team is, based on all those questions, and what the what the we deal with human connections or we deal with personalities or whatever the heck relationships we deal with relationships one i still say one hitman talking to another would not say it that way he'd say look we take out people that you know we get paid to to do or we loan money (laughs) why would he say it it's almost like mysterious on purpose i'm sure it's mysterious on purpose yeah i don't know i'm don't know if they'll show us any more of that. I don't know if they're going to show us Stavros anymore. So I don't care if evil wins or if good wins. I just want to know what that business was. <laughs> well, I care. I want good to win. I think it's got to win to be true to the show. Did you think this this episode, I was surprised. I try to formulate my own opinions on what's going on before I read any commentary. And I think since we're probably the first people to get out a full podcast on any of this stuff, that it's real difficult to do. There's not a lot of time to do that. But I really try not to let other people's opinions influence mine. Of course, I 
can't stop it sometimes. But it was funny to me that the different overall views of this episode, a lot of people felt like that it was a cooling off episode that uh, after the intense excitement of last time that now we're taking a cool off period and then a lot of people felt like it was a ratcheting up episode. There was no middle ground on that that I found, that I saw. It was either a, wow, they're really ratcheting this up, or they had to take cooling off time. And I wondered what you thought about that. I Do don't, yeah, was- I don't really care what other people think. I, I don't know. I, I think I've told you what I'm most, mostly curious about. It's like, what's the force behind all this, whether it ends up bad or good? I want to want to understand what the writer's motivation was for creating this force that put Malvo into the world. And I think that we got a hint of it in Reno with this guy trying to this guy obviously knew Malvo, knew what he was about and tried to remind Malvo of what the deal was and in in doing so hinted to us a little bit about what the deal is even though I didn't get it all. And that's what I want to know. Um, I think it's, if we look at the last three episodes, it's got to be a final act type of framework around them. They're, they can't set up any new people, <laughs> any more new people. We already have these FBI guys now. What are they? Why is the FBI involved? And um, I don't know. I don't want any more new mysteries. I want it to f- start showing answers, I guess. Well, I mean, certainly with the whole, or not the whole maybe, but the, this crime organization being taken out. Surely they're going to, that's going to be played into because the FBI was already watching them. So it's not like this is a new thing that they have to then figure out with some kind of crime. The FBI was watching them. So now that they're taken out, maybe they'll give us some information on that. Someone somewhere will have to, yeah, they don't, they can't just leave that. Like, what are those two guys going to do now? That whole crew's wiped out. What are what are they going to do? Go back and report it to somebody? Right, right. But they're worried now. They're going to cover up. They wanted to back away and act like they drove up on it, like they weren't bumbling, sleeping through it. They're going to cover up their tracks. So I don't know. Next week the episode is the heap on June third. So we'll do that one the next day. And um, unless you got anything else, that's that's about it. That's put all my. I have more questions than answers this this episode. Yeah, there was a, it definitely brought up a lot of questions, particularly with that group. But um, I did want to say that I think it was directed by a guy named Scott Winant, and it's the first of two that he's going to direct. And um, with the next one being The Heat, I think you said next time. And he also directed the Breaking Bad episode called Crawl Space. Do you remember the one where it ended with Walter crawling? through the basement and he couldn't find his money because uh Skylar had paid Ted the no, money. No, I, for- so- I forgot that one. What happened? <laughs> no, you know what I mean, but it was a great episode. So anyway, he directed that one too and he's going to direct the next one. Um Okay. I think a lot of the people are coming up with uh are we getting too obsessed with anti-heroes? And I think maybe we can talk about that toward toward the end of this series. But I thought that was an interesting question. That there's no sh- knight in shining armor. All the good people have bad things connected to them. 
we definitely have the picturesque heroes of people that we want to win that maybe don't deserve it or whatever, but. Well, we'll find out more next week on The Heap. Um, If you want to like us on our Facebook page, that would be great. Facebook slash Fargo TV. Our website, westcoastproject.com. Michelle, I suggest you look at it and find all the great features that are linked to it. Great. And um, other than that, that's it for this week. So I'll talk to you next week. Okay. Talk to you then. Bye. (laughs) 